our Bibles again tonight. Let's go over to Psalm 35, verse 27. Psalm 35, verse 27. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for your word. It is our very food. It is fuel to our faith. It's full of light and revelation. And anyone that walks out in faith and obedience uh, out on that word will be upheld. They'll find the word is true and sure. And I thank you, Father, for imparting revelation to these, your people, concerning your will for their lives financially, materially, and in every area of their life that, God, that you want them to do well, you want them to thrive, you want them to be blessed, you want them to prosper, and you want them to be able to be a huge blessing in furthering your plan these last days. So I thank you, Father, for imparting that light, that revelation to all of us tonight, helping me to be an able minister of the New Testament. May all of my words be authored of you and in sync with your heart, mind, and written word, and none, none of my own opinion. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus. And again, we pray it in Jesus' name and say amen. 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 So we're continuing tonight talking about being qualified for increase. And and uh, I hadn't been in this scripture for a couple of services, but I wanted to remind you of it. Psalm 35, verse 27. The psalmist said, Under the unction of the Spirit, let them shout for joy. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Shout for joy. Now, a lot of people, you know, they, they interpret that, that scripture, uh, well, you'll shout when you feel joyful. Think, look at the grammar of the text. Shout for joy. It's like saying, go to the store for milk. Amen. Okay, praise God. Here's shout for joy. Hallelujah. Let them shout for joy. Glory to God and be glad. This is how God wants us to be. Joyful and glad. Joyful and glad. Not down and sad and mad. That favor, these are, he's talking about people that favor my righteous cause. They favor. In other words, they're for. They're behind. In other words, what is important to God is important to this person. The plan of God, the things that God wants done is important to this person. And it's up to you and, my to, uh, you and me to make ourselves that person. The only, only me for me can put myself in that scripture. And I believe I can honestly say that Chris Cody is in favor of God's cause, of his plan in the earth moving forward. Amen? And I mean that in real terms. I've already demonstrated it. I mean, I'm not tooting. I don't have a horn to toot like Dr. Jacob says. But uh, praise God, I did move from one city to another city just to, you know, because that was God's cause. That's a, he said, here's a way that you could advance my plan and happy to do it, things like that. So anyway, so the person like that, amen, should shout for joy and be glad and that we should say continually, I mean, that means often, all the time, let the Lord be magnified. And then this wonderful revelation at the end of this verse, which has pleasure he has pleasure in what? In the prosperity of his servant. Now, I know in the New Testament we're sons, but how many of you know we're, we can serve him too? Yes. We are to serve. It's, it's a joy to serve. It's an honor to serve. In fact, 
you know, everyone who really is favoring God's righteous cause is serving in some capacity. Amen. In the kingdom, in the local church, and in the community in which they live. Well, aren't you glad that God is not mad at the prosperity of his servants? He's not mad. He's glad. He's not, he's not displeased with your prosperity. He's not displeased with my, you know, prosperity. He's pleased. And come on, just honestly, that puts him in harmony. That puts him in keeping with common sense. And what we know about every good parent, grandparent. Amen. We're pleased when our children do well. We're pleased, you know, when uh, they have what they need and they're thriving and they're moving ahead and, and uh, praise God. And all, all of those good things. God is pleased when we prosper. Well, think about this. If God's pleased when we prosper, then on some level he's displeased when we don't. I'm not saying that he's angry with us by any means. But, you know, it would not just displease the Father. No doubt it's got to pull on his heartstrings. Poverty hurts. Poverty hurts just like sickness hurts. Lack, lack, a little lack is inconvenient. Right? A little lack is inconvenient. But enough lack will kill you. It'll kill you. And there are people on the planet that have died today. For a lack of something to eat. And, that, and that's lack, isn't it? They lack food. Some will die because of this winter because of exposure. Well, that's lack. That's lack of shelter. And, I, you know, I don't care if, if extreme lack is, is terrible and hurtful and part of the curse and something God hates, then a little lack is just as bad. Amen. And uh, I have learned over many years to hate sickness and disease. I hate it. And I know it's from the devil. And I'm going to resist it. Like I'm going to resist anything that's evil. Deuteronomy 7.15 says expressly that all sickness and disease is evil. Not the person who's dealing with it. The disease itself, the pain itself, the infirmity itself. Listen, poverty is just as bad. You should be working to develop a distaste for lack. An intolerance for lack. You're not making uh, uh, you know, tre treaties with lack. You're not learning to just uh, cope and get by not having enough and living less than, living, living beneath what God has provided. Jesus died to provide what he provided. And we should not be okay living beneath. Amen. What God has provided for you and for me. Amen. And if you'd like a percentage, you know, uh, way back in uh, the late 90s down in Lima, Peru, Dr. Dufresne was doing a meeting down there. And uh, the Spirit of God came into his hotel room and said, God came and visited him and said, uh, you know, 98% of my children live beneath. 98% of my children live beneath what I've provided for them, including you, preacher. He said, oh, Father, you know, what did I do? You rolled off the, got off the wrong side of the throne this morning, you know, like God was in a bad mood. But, you know, God is not okay with His children living, 98% of us living beneath what He's provided for us. Now, why do you, i got a place to go tonight, but we got to stir this because 
as a pastor, you observe, and I'm doing my best to preach these things to you and live it, live it best I can in front of you, but uh, more of you need to do something. You need to do something with what I'm preaching along this line. You need to increase. I command you to increase. Melissa said, I'm doing it. We're doing it. You know, we're doing it. We're doing it. <laughs> Brittany's over there. We're doing it. We're doing it. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Dr. Dufresne would tell us, he said, you look at your finances the last two years. Look at your finances the last three years. If you're not coming up, you need to figure that out. You need to find out what's going on. Amen. Because God, number one, God wants you to have it. Number two, you can't do what God wants you to do in terms of a mission and assignment in being a blessing if you don't have the resources and the time to do it. One of the things about having an abundance, think about all your debts being paid off, all of them paid off. You got seventy-five dollars or $100,000 in the bank in just free cash that has no dedicated purpose. Amen. And, and, and then you're developing streams of income that don't require your active presence or labor. You, if you're there, you could go anywhere in the world. You could go to India. You could, you could take a week and go do this. You could, right, you could spend time in prayer. I mean, you, think about what wealth would afford you to do. Yes. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Think about the difference it would make to your family, to your children, to your future grandchildren. You know, I know when Dad Hagen left, he'd already bought all of his children a home cash. And he bought all of his grandchildren a home cash. And who knows how much just the investments in finances, personal, that he, and he was very frugal. You know, he lived good, but he, he was very frugal growing up because, you know, he went through the depression and all that. But he knew how to save and he knew how to invest and he didn't rob his ministry, never had a scandal financially that I know anything about. And was able to have all his stuff paid for, all his debt paid for, uh, all his children had houses. My kids are over there going, go, Dad, I'm rooting for you. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Right? Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, praise God. And, uh, and you've got to know that just delights the heart of the Father. To give that generation a big, big leg up and a big head start. Amen. Well, God takes pleasure in our prosperity. And, uh, you know, um, how many of you know it's God's will for everybody to be saved? Well, how come they aren't? Is it on God's side or man's side? Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. No, it's on man's side. How many of you know it's God's will for you to be healed? Amen. It's God's will for you to be healed in your body. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, are all healed in the church? Of course not. Well, people wonder about that. Why is that? Well, it's not on God's side. And for those that are seeking healing and not receiving... There, there's a question that you should ask, not in condemnation, but there's a question that you should ask God. God was dealing with me about this on the drive over here. He said, son, you know, it's, it's just be an impossible task for you as a minister to list all the various reasons comprehensively why an individual might not be receiving healing. There are some common things that we hit on. But he said, it is really as simple as that one talking to me. Because I want them to have it. 
And whatever is hindering me from being able to heal them, I'm happy to talk to them about it. I said, and this is what I said to the Father. I said, I know, Father, but they don't know you like that. They don't know you. You're their Savior. You're their Father, but they don't have a personal walk with you. He said, that's exactly right. And that's the problem in so many. That's the thing. That's the issue for so many people is they have not cultivated relationship with the Father. And whatever the sticking points are in your life, listen, the, 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 the solutions, the way out of those things is not hard. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. He wants you to talk to Him. He will talk to you. He won't beat you up. He'll show you the way out. You may have to be a big girl. You may have to put your big girl pants on and receive some correction. You may, you may have to be a big boy. You may, you're right. God will have to tell you, God will speak truth to you. Amen. But on the other side of that instruction, on the other side of that whatever, on the other side of that correction is your healing, your deliverance, your breakthrough. So that question, the big question, uh, if healing is, is not come and, and you're doing what you know to do, you, it should be, Father, what is preventing you from being able to heal me? I'm talking about manifested in my body. And I mean, be earnest about it. Be sincere about it. And if you don't get the answer in 15 minutes of praying, keep praying. And if you don't get it the first day in praying, keep praying until you get that answer. Well, the, the same thing. If we are not increasing, amen, if our bills are not being paid, if we're struggling chronically financially, we should ask God a very important question. Father, what is preventing you from being able to increase me, to bless me, to be able to move me up financially? Because again, for me, it's 752 on the back wall. There's no way that I could touch all of the various possibilities and reasons so that you could sit there and wait and the Holy Ghost go, oh, ding, that's the one for you, you know. All you need to do individually is talk to Him. But this is what I find. I'm not down on anybody, but this is just what I find. People aren't interested they're not interested enough. And I don't, I don't get that. I just don't get that because God wants to do so much for us. And He wants to use us in glorious ways, marvelous ways. Amen? But your Christian life, you're, 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 this whole thing, there's a corporate flow, yes, and you're a church member and all that good stuff, but the cat's meow of the Christian life, if I could say it that way, is you and Him. You and Him. You and Him. You and Him. You, you, you walk together and you talk together. And He knows you and you're, you're getting to know Him. And, and when you have issues, I'm not the first one you run to. People aren't the first one you run to. I mean, there's no better person. You like drinking coffee in the morning? That's me. But there's no better person to have a cup of coffee with in the morning than the Father. Amen. He did write a book called Hebrews. See? Amen. There, there's no better person, no better, no better one to talk, talk life's problems over with. No, no one. No one better. No, no one better to go on a, on a leisurely drive on a, you like motorcycle on the countryside on a Sunday afternoon than the Father. So just don't forget that 
the, the sweetness of the Christian life, the essence of the Christian life, and the most powerful things that are going to come out of the Christian life, including your call, including your ministry, including everything you need from Him, is going to flow out of relationship. Someone say, Amen. Amen. Faith is a walk with God. And so if we are not on the increase, if we don't see some increase in that we're tithing and we're giving, we're coming to church and we're not seeing increase, then we need to just have a conversation with the Father. Amen? Amen. Well, he's having us highlight one of these big, big issues uh, that will qualify us for prosperity and for increase, and that is living free from covetousness, amen, and the love of money. And there's some, an area in here I'm trying to get to, hadn't got to there yet. So, praise God. Let's uh, read verse, um, uh, bah, bah, bah. verse number 7. says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having flu, food and clothing, let us therewith be content. But they that will be, and the King James says will be, in the Greek it literally says to crave, to have an insatiable, unholy desire for riches. Those people fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a, right? For the love of money, it literally, it's better to say it a, root of all kinds of evil. Hallelujah. Which, while some coveted after. Them, I'm trying to do two things at once here, forgive me. Uh, they have erred from the faith. And so if you don't handle money and material things properly, you could err from the faith and pierce yourself through with many sorrows. And we don't want to do that. Now, what some people have done and said, that sounds so bad, I renounce all wealth and riches. I'm not even going there. That's not what he said to do. We'll see that in a minute. That's not the right response. The right response is to develop the, the right kind of godly character, amen, and a biblical relationship with this world and all that's in it around us, amen, and be able to handle wealth and be able to handle resources. Amen. Because if the Christians don't have it, the devil's kids will and do. Amen. The answer is not to take a vow of poverty. Amen. We need to learn to have money and not covet money. Amen. But it says, but you, O man of God, O woman of God, you could say that too, flee these things and follow after. Here's where our heart, our mind needs to be. We're pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Amen. Now, skip all the way down to verse 17. It says to uh, Paul, a, a seasoned man of God, to a, another great minister, Timothy, charge them. Tell them, command or instruct them who are rich in this world to get rid of all their riches. So it says, get rid of, tell them all, tell all those rich people. They're going to err from the faith. They're going to pierce themselves through. Tell them to get rid of all their riches. No, no, that's not what it says. And that would have been a great place to say that. Right? Would have been a great place to go ahead and instruct all that. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Now, you know, that's a character and attitude issue. That's an internal issue. 
That's not a bank balance issue. Nor trust, oh, we're getting to it. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us, you know, scantly, barely, schmidgen, a few things to enjoy. No, no, no. Who gives us richly, richly, all things to enjoy. Some things he just wants you to enjoy. It doesn't have any holy purpose at all. You just like it. Is it okay to, I mean, have some, we already talked about that, have some really nice stuff, I mean, really nice, like art, whatever it is that you like. Amen. Some people just freak out. Oh my gosh, that, that thing on your wall costs $10,000. What's it there for? What purpose does it serve? I enjoy looking at it. Right? Bible says back over in uh, Psalms 112, I don't think we're going there, that for the upright man, for the, for the good man, for the godly man, that wealth and riches shall be in his house. So see, number one, he's got a house. And then in the house are wealth and riches. You know? They didn't, it's okay to do it, but you don't have to furnish your house from garage sales. You don't have to. Now, you start where you start. I, I did a little better than my dad when I first moved out. Uh, I, and Amber and I, we did, we did furnish part of our house with garage sale stuff. Yeah, we did. We are couch and love seat. Yeah, it was garage sale. And we need to fumigate that thing too, man. <laughs> bad. But uh, my dad started out with uh, cinder blocks and planks for coffee tables and dining stuff. That's where they got started. Well, hey, you start where you start. But you know, my daddy didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. And you don't have to stay there. Amen. Amen. So it says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, that they do, now notice this, that they do good. That they do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute ready to distribute, willing to communicate, or willing to share, willing to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. He's saying, basically, there's a judgment day coming, and if the rich person will follow these instructions, their reward in heaven will be great. He didn't say to the rich man, get rid of all your riches. He said, number one, notice we need to break down quickly the instruction. Number one, be humble. Be humble. Amen. Don't let your bank balance and your net worth and your increasing assets go to your head. You're still the same you. Amen. We're thrilled for you. We're happy for you. But you're still the same you. That stuff didn't make you. Amen. Didn't make you worse and didn't make you better. We're just to be humble. Then here's a big one we have to make sure about. And I'm talking to you. You're rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He made us, we are rich in Him because of what He did. Well, so that means I'm talking to every one of us. So we are not to trust in our money. We are not to trust in our money. 
I don't care how much money you attain, how much money you got. If certain things happen, you can lose it tomorrow. Have you ever watched on the, uh, the financial reports on the stock market? And they'll say, in the last three days, $6 trillion has been wiped out of investors' accounts. Think about that. Six days worth of trading. I mean, all of us could be living in Tent City tomorrow. If the Lord doesn't keep us. If the Lord doesn't bless us, if the Lord doesn't sustain us, if the Lord doesn't keep us going, come on. We could all be, you know, street sitters, park, park walk, walkers and bench sleepers tomorrow. Amen. That stuff, that stuff, that's why it's called uncertain riches. Financial condition. Could you, one thing, God could say, I want you to empty your account. I, I want you to give it all away. <laughs> then what are you going to do? You better be trusting in God and not your riches. Amen. Then look at the instruction, verse 18. Rich people should do what? They should do good. In other words, this is where your wealth and your riches become your ministry, part of your ministry. You can do things. You can buy... You can buy airplanes for ministers, traveling ministers. You can, you can buy satellite time. You can, you can build hospitals. You can dig wells. I mean, you, you can go into disaster areas and make a difference. You can buy off the liquor store guy and, and just say, I'm gonna, what do you want for your business? I'll buy it, but the thing is you got to leave town and never come back. Amen. And then turn that into a rec center for the community. Praise God. Whatever. I mean, you... See, you can do, this is what we're supposed to do with our riches. We're supposed to do good. That sounds like fun to me. Doesn't it? That sounds like fun to me. We can do good. Well, you got to have it to do this kind of good. Well, I'm going to get mine. I don't know how far God's grace and blessing will take me, but I'm going to get mine. And if you're not going to get yours and he'll let me, I'm going to get yours too. I'm going to get your piece of the pie. Yes, I am. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we're to be that we do good and that we're rich in good works. Rich in good works. We're ready to distribute. Now I want to say something. I wasn't smart enough to get this by myself, but I, I was listening to Brother Keith Moore talk on this subject. And he said something that helped me, and I had to chew on it a minute. And, um, but he made this statement. <clears throat> Um, the fact that a particular believer, let's say you, really attains abundance and wealth. You don't, because you attain that, you don't owe that, any of it, to a poor person. People who don't have what you have, have no right being around you to expect you to do for them. Hello? I'm talking people from their perspective looking at the blessing you walk in. You don't, because you're blessed, you don't owe them individually something because you're that. You don't, you go to, you're really, 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 really blessed and you go to uh, someone uh, to lunch, uh, you know, with someone who doesn't have quite yet, they're coming up, but they're not quite that year. You don't owe the check. You don't, you're not obligated to pick up their tab at the restaurant. You don't owe them. 
our part, being wealthy, being blessed, being, having abundance, is we are ready to. We are willing to if God tells us to. But because I'm walking in a level that you're not walking in yet. I'm, not, I'm just talking total hypotheticals, right? That, that one who's walking in a higher measure, does, Pastor Nancy doesn't owe me anything. Nothing. She owes me nothing because she's on a higher level. We need to understand that we're not ashamed of our blessing. And the fact that we walk in a certain measure of blessing that other believers don't, we don't owe them, from their perspective, anything. And here's a big thing about covetousness. If, if you get around someone who's got more than you, and you have that, you wouldn't try to, you'd try to hide that, but you have this hope that they'll pay the bill, they'll fill the gas tank on the trip, they'll, they'll do your part because they're walking in greater measure. You're the one that's not right. I would be the one that's not right. And that will hinder us moving up because that is love of money. And we haven't gotten there yet, but that is looking to other people as your source. We're not qualified for divine, godly prosperity if we're looking at other people as our source. And I know when you get under financial pressure, you know, it's, it's so tempting. You may not, it's subconscious sometimes. You get around somebody who knows they could be your answer to prayer. And you start dropping faith hints, you know. Hey, you know, I, I am really standing in faith for $500. I mean, I got to have it. I am, agree with me. Agree with me that God will meet my need. Thursday at 12, that's, that's, that's when I got $500. That stuff goes on. That stuff goes on. It's never right. If you're in faith, if you're in faith, you never look to people. You never put pressure on people. Never. Never, never, never. That's wrong. That's covetous. That's love of money. That's, not, that's poverty thinking. That's not good thinking. I remember when, uh, um, I'm out ahead of myself, but God forgive me. But anyway, um, Amber and I, we mutually decided that uh, when uh, uh, Faith was in the oven, <laughs> you know, mom's carrying her, you know, something just went off on the inside of her heart, Amber's heart. She said, well, have fun making money. I'm staying home, you know. And she didn't just dictate it. You know, she was pretty firm, but... Uh, we talked it over and we, we got into agreement. And, and, uh, but her staying home instantly created a massive financial problem for our, for our family. And I did everything I could in the natural to be, to be making that up. But uh, as the pressure mounted, I found myself putting pressure on my boss at church to give me a raise. And, and, and putting pressure on other entities and other people, you know, because I, I was just under such pressure. And um, that's not faith. I, I agreed to work for my pastor at the set salary. And the fact that I made a decision that put me in financial want is not his problem. 
and the fact that I am faithful and working hard and doing a good job for him, he does not owe me a raise because I'm under pressure. And I don't care if you're working at the, in, the, in a worldly corporate for a boss that's not even saved. You should not be putting pressure on them. Now, it's not wrong to request one out of a right heart. And I mean, one night I stayed up all night and I, I made a, like a three-page presentation for him to consider showing, showing the higher-ups at, at this particular church. And it was legit. All of the money I had saved them in reduced cost and more efficiency and less maintenance calls and all that, I still didn't get the raise. But, you know, but I didn't want it for the right reason. I'm acting out of stress and pressure and I'm putting all that pressure on people. Listen, when we, when we have need and we have pressure, we are to put all the pressure on the Word of God. A faith person looks to God. And let's God move on people. And as we come up in blessing, it is important to know and to understand we, from another person's perspective, we don't owe someone. I get around some people and they tell me how, how dire it is, how, hurt, how hurting they are. And, and listen, uh, we're at a place in the church now where most of the time we can, we can handle it. Amen? And much of the time, many times, we get involved. But I don't let the person and their need and their crisis dictate what I feel like I have to do. I talk to God about it. Because a lot of people are just having people and entities throw money at things, but the mind never changes, the heart never changes, the habits never change. And you're throwing, you're throwing a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. And, and I just don't like throwing good money after bad. That's why I have a policy. Uh, when, when benevolence calls come in and they want a hotel room, at the most, only if God tells me to do it, I'll do one room. Because well, you know, I'll do one room for one night. One night. That's it. That's it. Because what's gonna, what are they, they're going to be asking somebody for another night, tomorrow night, and then the next night, and then the next night. And that, that just that doesn't work. But anyway, these are thinking things. Amen. What we owe with our wealth is that we walk in the light of the scripture. We are humble and we are willing and we are ready at any given moment. I am ready to distribute. I'm going to be rich in good works with my money. And I am willing to commun- I'm willing to share. But I'm led in that. I'm not pressured. I don't owe it. You don't owe it. Hey, listen, how many of you have got family members that, in extended family members that act, you know, they're in a bad way and they're probably in a bad way because they're living a bad way. <laughs> right? You don't owe them. Well, they're going to be in the, they told me they're going to be in the street. You don't owe them. You, do, you don't, you owe nothing. Unless God moves on you. Unless God says. Now, if God says, you owe it. You owe it. And if you want to continue to be blessed, you should obey. No matter how inconvenient, if it takes everything you got. If God says, give it, then we're to give it. Are you with me? These are important things. Because many people will 
manipulate. We've had people come in and tell us their tale of woe and they sound all sincere. And, and you know, on those occasions, whatever I tell Brett, tell him no. Well, we tell them no and they'll, they'll leave screaming. And you can hear them shouting out the window out on Highway 60. You don't have no love at that church. The Bible says you're supposed to take care of the poor. You know, they know, they know scriptures about that. And they really show their true colors as they get all huffy and puffy because they didn't get the charity that they thought they were owed. What we owe the world and what we owe our, fellow, our families and our fellow Christians is to obey God. To obey the Spirit of God. That's good, amen? This is, this is growing up stuff. Amen. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Y'all all right? We're learning. We're learning. We've got to mature in some of these things because God will increase you and then if you let manipulators, right? Here's the thing. If, if, if you just let your out-of-control mercy gift and you want to save every stray cat that comes along, Every three-legged dog that comes up and scratches on the door. Right? You, you, I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to give all your food away. You, I mean, you're, hey, we need those mercy gifts. Those are powerful gifts. But you need to be wise and you need to be discerning. Yeah. <laughs> Back when we were meeting at Jackson Street, uh, I would have requests... And I, I, in my ignorance as a young pastor, I did this kind of stuff. I actually went and went to the drive-thru and bought bags of drive-thru food for someone who's... And they're, living, they're staying in a really bad part of town in some sort of motel, instant, hour-by-hour hour housing thing. And would go in that place by myself, amen, into those spaces and give them the food and sit down and talk with them and pray with them. And God finally said to me, what are you doing? What are you doing? That is not safe. Right? And you know what I mean by the whole bleeding heart syndrome? Can't say no to anybody. Here's, here's what I was going to say about that. If you can't learn to temper that, God won't be able to trust you with the resources. If you don't have the ability to say no, amen. If it's yes every time, then a good portion of that's going to be wasted and misappropriated. You have to be led by the Spirit. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 12. Somebody's getting something, aren't they? Amen. Verse number 15. Jesus said, in response to the two brothers fighting over the inheritance, He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now notice this, for a man's life, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. He didn't say it was wrong to possess it. But what is he he's saying? This whole thing of, I gotta have abundance. Your life cannot be measured by the stuff. 
the lack of stuff, the abundance of stuff, whether you got a car with three good tires or a 12-car garage filled with classic cars, that don't make you. Jesus said, beware of coveting. Beware of this, this thing. Amen? For your life cannot be measured by the things that you possess. Enjoy them. But just understand, like I said last week, they're all headed for ashes. God said this to me this afternoon, this afternoon I believe. He said, uh, heaven will measure you, not by how big you live, but by how big you give. Heaven will measure your life. But it's not by how big you live. Heaven doesn't care about the square footage of your house. He does not care. Heaven does not. That's not going to be any measure. How big you live. Heaven's going to measure you by how big you give. And not just money, but how much of yourself. How much of your life do you give to others and to the plan of God? There is no greater love than what? Than to lay down your life for your friends. Amen. That's how heaven's going to measure you. Hallelujah. So let's continue reading. So in light of this, he told a story, he told a parable. And he spoke unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? He's got a problem, right? He's so blessed. Because I have no room where to bestow or store my harvest, my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater or bigger. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, sounds like Sunday mornings, soul, You have much goods laid up for many years. Sounds like a lot of people's dream. Take your ease. Everything is fine till right now. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Now let's, let's, let's not let that just go over us. You fool. God said fool. Okay, let's, let's go over it. What did he do? Well, he planted a lot of crops, and was he blessed? He was blessed. He was so blessed, all his storage structures were not big enough to hold his harvest. Who, who would have been up behind that blessing? Where'd that blessing come? Who gave the rain and the sunshine and the land, caused all that increase? God did. God did. And so what, where does it go awry? How he's thinking. How he's thinking in, his, in himself. Amen. Talking about being qualified for increase. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to build bigger barns. And now that I have it heaped up, I have so much, I can do nothing else, not lift another finger, just live in ease and live on vacation for years and do nothing but eat, drink, party with my friends. And God intervenes and says, fool. He's not a fool because he's got an abundance. He's, got, he's a fool because in his heart, he has no vision to help anybody. 
He's got no vision, no dream, no thought toward God about what I should do with this blessing. There was nothing in his dream, nothing in his thought, nothing in his plans other than himself. And now he's gone awry. Now he's not qualified for increase. God said, O fool, this night your very soul will be required of you. Then whom will all of this stuff be that you've heaped up? And then God, what verse is that? Uh, Jesus culminates, he, he brings home the meaning of the story and he says, So is it for anyone that is not rich toward God. That's verse 21. So is he. So if you don't want to be a fool, then you got to pay attention. Verse 21. A fool is someone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Having the wealth is not wrong. It's wrong to have it and not be rich toward God with it. So to qualify for increase, church, you have to have a vision for your money that goes beyond you. You have to have a plan for your wealth and for your abundance before you get it of how you're going to use it to be a blessing to others and to be rich toward God. This is the title of my sermon. We need to be rich toward God. We read it in Timothy. Rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to share. I'm rich toward God. I don't owe it to people because they think I should give it. I don't let people pull on my emotions or my heartstrings. I don't let people manipulate me. But on my side toward God, I know where my blessing came from. And it is at His disposal and I am listening. And I am ready to distribute and give and be a blessing at any moment, at any time. Amen. Let's close tonight in 1 Kings chapter 3. And again, God is just really talkative. I love it when He's like that with me this afternoon. And uh, he said, God, son, go and look up that story about uh, Solomon. And, and I want to show you, and I'm showing you what he showed me, who I make rich. So God showed me this afternoon the kind of person that God makes rich. Hallelujah. Glory to God. First Kings chapter 3. We'll pick it up in verse 5. <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse 3, sorry. And Solomon loved the Lord. Now, we're at the place where David has passed away. His dad's passed away. Solomon is brand new. He's the heir apparent. He is on the throne as a young man, king of Israel. At a very prominent and blessed, prosperous time in Israel's history. What does it say about Solomon? He loved the Lord. Who does God make rich? People who love the Lord. People who love, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord more than you love stuff? I wrote this down. 
God blesses people with things who want Him more than they want things. I'll say it again. God blesses people with things who want Him more than they want things. A lot of people give lip service to this, but they're not faithful to their local church. Right? When the rubber meets the roads in real, in real practical terms, they're, they're going, it's about the stuff. It's about the money. Hey, listen, guys, it, it just it cannot be about the money. Well, I'm, whatever it is we're talking about, it, it can't be about the money. If you're going to be blessed, it's not about the money. Amen? We have to think about money. Right? We need money. But too many Christians, it's too much about the money. And churches get split apart because it's just about the money. How much did they spend on that? It's just, you can't be blessed like that. All right, closing here, but look at what it said. Solomon loved the Lord. Now, how does that translate? What does loving the Lord look like? Well, it says, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed burnt, uh, burnt incense in high places. High places is... Uh, is a reference to altars built to pagan gods. But you have to understand here, God's not holding this against him. He's in a place right now where there is no official Jewish-approved place of worship. He's offering to God on an altar built for a false god. Not ideal, but God's not holding it against him here. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Is, is Solomon, in his new entrance to his new assignment, being ultra generous in his giving toward God? Okay, a thousand burnt offerings. You know, if you had 10 cows, that would probably be worth about twelve or $15,000. He offered a thousand. Okay, so if you didn't know the answer, he is being generous in his giving as a form of worship to God. And that's where we were in verse 6, aren't we? According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. This is, this is Solomon. And you have kept him, kept him for this great kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made thy servant, talking about himself, king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. How did he, how did he think about himself? What is that a reflection of? Humility. Who does God make rich? We already read this, right? Don't be high-minded. He loved the Lord. He's walking in the statutes. He's walking in the commandments. He's pursuing righteousness. He's upright in his heart. He's humble. He didn't always stay humble, but he started that way. I know not how to go out and come in. You got to understand, you know, he's the king of the most powerful nation in the earth at that time. His daddy's gone. He's like, I, I, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. Right? He's in a very humbled place right now. Verse 8. 
And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which you have chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. Oh, and I missed, I missed the most important verse in the whole thing. Back up to the first sentence of verse 5. I'm sorry. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I will give you. I missed, I'm sorry. I, I missed the punchline. Look at that. God shows up and says, ask me anything. Just ask me anything. And we're going to find out, you know, who does God make rich? And you can see then he went into this prayer about how David was your king and uh, he did these, he walked before you in truth and righteousness. And, and uh, now you've given my father David a son, that's me, to sit on the throne. Verse 7, and now, O Lord, my king, you've made me servant king instead of my father David. I'm, but I'm just like a little child. I don't know how to go in, how to come out. And God's already asked him, what do you want? Ask me for anything. And he goes in talking about, I'm now king, I'm the servant in the midst of this great people. Verse 9, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may, be, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Now I wonder if that had been our heart. God shows up and says, Ask me for what you want. What would we be thinking about? What? And you know what? If he'd have asked for a chariot of solid gold, God would have gone, there you go. Happy to give it to you. Wealth. I want wealth. I want victory over my enemies. I want long life. But you see this man's heart? He didn't ask for any of that. I said he didn't ask for any of that. His, what was dominant in Solomon's heart right then was God and fulfilling, being able to fulfill what God had for his life. And he knew he needed something from him to be able to do that, and it didn't have anything to do with money. It didn't have anything to do with fame. It didn't have anything to do with power. He asked for wisdom. He asked really for what he needed the most. And look at God's response. I know you're familiar with this story. Verse 10. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, neither have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall there be any arise unto thee after. Come on. And I have also given you what you did not ask for. Come on. I'm giving you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all thy days. And if you will walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
God pointed me out to him as an example. Who did God make rich? Who did I make rich? He said to me today. He made Solomon rich. Who was Solomon? Someone who loved him. Someone who was walking in the commandments best he knew. Someone who had a heart toward him before he had a heart for money. Amen. And someone who wanted the ability from God to be able to carry out in an honorable, effective way the assignment on his life. And he didn't ask anything personal for himself. And God granted that, as you saw, and God granted what he did not ask. So this is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you do that, all those other things you're really not thinking about so much. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Riches, honor. And he says, if you obey me, you'll live a long life too. Amen. You get anything out of that tonight? Hallelujah. Glory to God.